This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. This week's PR Podcast plug goes to Brad Marley and his weekly PR newsletter. It's a quick and essential read online on the PR topics that are trending and breaking uh, and features a PR pro of the week, little interview Q&A section there on Brad's newsletter. Just Google Brad Marley, uh, Brad Marley newsletter, easiest way to find it. He's got great SEO, comes right up. Sign up for that newsletter. It drops in your inbox every Monday. And also check out his company, Yell Ram Media Online. Brad was a guest just a few weeks ago on the podcast. And so uh, we want to plug his newsletter up top here. Do you want to get plugged on the PR podcast? If you do, send us a, D- a DM to the PR podcast, uh, preferably on Twitter at the PR podcast. We'll mention you in an upcoming episode. We like to promote people's other people's podcasts, their newsletters, uh, their social media, you know, projects that they're working on, things that they're doing. So let us know and we'll give you a plug up at the top of the show. Speaking of the show is speaking of our guest, and we've got a good one this week. Let's get right into it. Mike Maynard is the managing director of the Napier Group, a $7 million PR and marketing agency for B2B technology companies. Their consultancy uses knowledge, experience, and insight to solve marketing challenges and increase the speed of how prospects travel through your funnel, generating opportunities more quickly to increase awareness, generate leads, or engage contacts and create opportunities. His unique four-step process, determine, focus, deliver, and enhance, takes the best research on effective ways to deliver great PR and deliver results, which is what we're all interested. Mike, welcome to the PR podcast. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Jenny. So let's start our conversation with this. What's happening in the UK these days where you live and where you work? And are you all as broken as and bewildered as we are in the United States? <laughs> so um, we, we seem to have some political shenanigans going on, um, which, which is proving a bit of a challenge, I think, here. Um, and mainly because whenever I talk to anyone outside of the UK, um, they laugh at me, um, which, which is uh, never a good start to any conversation. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's not as though we voted for the prime minister. And I could genuinely say that because in the UK, we don't get to vote for the prime minister. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, we, we, the, our two countries have had their, uh, uh, their challenges these last few years, I think. And it's just, it just all seems to be upside down every once in a while. Um, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but we wanted to have you on because, and you were interested in talking about this too, is sort of the, the similarities and differences between a UK and a US audience. And I think we can generally even more apply that to you know, a PR around the world, right? How, how different cultures, different countries um, perceive PR, how PR is executed in different areas. Do you have any insight as to how you do your job in the UK versus what I might do here in the US? Yeah, so I, I mean, the first thing to say is there are differences, but normally what happens is as soon as people realize there are differences, they overstate them. Um, and so it's about a balance. Um, and what you're really trying to do is you're trying to achieve the same goals across the world. And what you've got to understand is that using exactly the same words in the UK and the US will not achieve the same goals because people will interpret them differently. And that becomes even more extreme when you look at, for example, Germany. Um, which not only has a cultural difference, but it then has a language difference as well. 
So what you're not trying to do is you're not trying to say exactly the same words to people and thinking they will cause the same response or the same change in perception. What you're trying to do is get the same message across. Um, and that's really what localization of PR is all about. It's making uh, the results be the same and be consistent by just tweaking the materials and maybe sometimes the strategy and the tactics you use. That's interesting. I, I'm working with a UK-based client right now. They're launching uh, a sister uh, product here in the US. So they're taking their business model that was been very successful in the UK, they're translating it to the US. And I've been finding that as well, that um, the way they talk about their business and sort of the, um, the, the verbal mechanisms, I'll say, that they use uh, I know don't translate in the U.S. So, so uh, I hear what you're saying about it going back and forth. Do you have any specific examples or for instances that maybe you've run into where you need to either translate something or you need to look at something through a slightly different lens? So um, th there's lots of examples and, and there's some obvious stuff. So uh, uh, you guys over in the States, um, you believe what we in England call padded rugby um, is football. It's not football anywhere else in the world. Um, and, you know, getting to the one yard line and walking off the field means nothing to us. We don't understand it. Um, so I think there's a lot of analogies that are, are particular to different geographies. Um, and, and equally, you know, I'll be honest, um, when we talk about cricket, the Germans aren't exactly engaged. You know, so it's, it's not just uh, one country. Every country has their own uniqueness in the way they talk. So you've got to take out those local things and replace them with something that's equally effective locally. Um, it's not to say in a PR campaign you should never talk about football um, or you should never talk about cricket. Absolutely, you should do that. That works really well in particular countries, but then rewrite it. And, and that's the most basic thing. But having said that, there's, there's a lot of um, differences in style and approach. Um, and, you know, newspapers are a great example. This isn't my area of expertise, but obviously I read newspaper over here. I read newspaper when I'm in the States. Um, and the way newspapers write stories is incredibly different um, from just the US to, to the UK. Um, so, you know, in the US, we, we always like to joke that basically every news report starts off with something along the lines of, it was a bright, sunny day. Um, and, and there's lots of like general intro and background and stuff. Um, and then over here, we have newspapers like The Sun. And, and if any of your readers have not come across the sun, you probably need to Google the sun or my personal favorite, the Daily Star, completely different approach. Um, and so I think, you know, you also have to cope with the, the style that journalists want. Um, and for me, you know, my business is B2B. So a lot of it is uh, really um, technical trade media. Um, and even there, the trade media has a very different style. And again, you know, um, an example is that, uh, Quite often there's a lot of background in technical articles in the states um, that people in the uk kind of assume is already written um, and and one of the journalists in uh, that i work with you know we talked about you know some differences uh, a while ago and they said yeah you know if you're writing for america you basically start off with any article about silicon chips semiconductors you start off with electricity is a good thing and it comes out the wall and then you build it from there. And, and you know, we just go straight in. Um, and, and there's, there's, you know, clearly a we can laugh in the UK that, you know, there's some basic stuff that every reader knows at the start of an article. But equally, sometimes in the UK, there's a lot of assumptions that are wrong. So it's really about understanding those nuances that's really important. 
Yeah, it, it's sort of understanding the the market that you're working in and, and understanding how to communicate to those people because um, you and I both know at the end of the day, when you're pitching a reporter, you're not pitching the reporter, you're pitching their audience. You're speaking to their audience through them. And so you have to make sure that you're taking all that uh, into account. Funny that you mentioned about how American articles start off. I'm fond of saying that all American uh, especially newspaper articles, but even, you know, TV, radio, um, they all start with a person. They don't necessarily start with, uh, and that's kind of what you were saying too, you know, they, they don't start with um, the thing that's being promoted necessarily or the, the stuff they're talking, they, 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 they translate it through an individual's experience with whatever is being pitched or whatever is being written about. Do you mm -hmm. find that in the UK as well? Yeah, I think um, if you look at it, the, the American articles just tend to have like a softer start. Um, but equally, I mean, you know, if I had German uh, colleagues, they'd be going, oh, the English article. I mean, the UK, you just don't do facts. It's all fluffy. It's all vague. You know, so it, th there is no right or wrong. It's different cultures. And, and when we're writing for Germany, it's a lot more data driven, a lot more factual, a lot harder. Um, whereas in the UK, you know, there's still a need for opinion um, and uh, vision in, in a very different way to the way you'd write it in Germany, but also in a different way to the way you'd write it in the US, if you want it to be effective. Um, you can absolutely put an American article into a UK publication, we'll understand it, we'll read it, you know, we'll know what it means, but it won't have that same impact. So then let's segue into your four-step process, determine, focus, deliver, and enhance. Um, what, walk us through that process and how that helps to guide what you're talking about. Yeah, so um, the four-step process is, I mean, effectively is a simplification of the uh, seven-step process that was um, written about in Strategic Planning for Public Relations, the great textbook on PR. Um, and what we did was we looked at that and we said, actually, as an agency, there's certain things we can do to simplify because some of the things we're doing um we don't actually you know have to worry about some of the steps that you would as a client the client defines the budget for example um so we looked at how do we really pare down um you know campaign planning to the basics um and the answer is you know four steps in our opinion so the first step is what some people would call situation analysis we call determine um and it's really about understanding the situation and the environment what's happening um the second step is focus which is about the audience you're trying to reach and the messaging you're using. Um, so it's who you're going to tell and how you're going to tell it. Um, so those two are the planning stages. And I think, you know, with PR, generally speaking, a lot of PR pros, they're very smart. They know what they're doing. They understand their, their clients' markets. But we all love the actual doing bit. We, we, we love going out. We love writing. We love pitching. We love, you know, that whole PR bit. And it's so easy to jump into that's that execution stage. And that's our third stage called deliver. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to force this two-step um, thought process. Um, and as I say, it's a bit of a compression of, of you know, what academics would say you really should be doing, but it's still really effective because it captures the main points. Um, and to me, that's the important thing is you've got to think before you do, that's how you get the most effective campaigns. And then lastly, of course, we've got the last stage. Um, you know, people call that evaluate. We actually don't like the, the word evaluate. Um, and the problem is, is it's so easy to look at a campaign and go, yeah, that was great. Or yeah, it wasn't so good. And then move on and do nothing about it. So we actually call it enhance. So what we're trying to do from our results is we're trying to learn 
every time we get results. Um, so if it went well, why did it go well? If it went badly, why did it go badly? Um, and we'll sometimes say to clients, you know, look, th this campaign didn't work. You know, we wanted to hit these metrics. We didn't hit the metrics, but we think it was because of this and this and this, and we're going to change what we do. And we're going to approach the next campaign in this way. Um, and assuming that you don't say that every time, you know, assuming that you do improve the campaigns, they do start working. It's amazingly effective. You know, clients are, are actually, you know, very realistic. Um, and they are not looking for magical results every time. They're looking for an agency that works really hard and that keeps looking for ways to get better. So it's a great way to build a client relationship for us as well. Yeah, great long term for sure. I mean, the, the, what we want as, as PR people and as consultants is for return business, right? We want that client to have a good experience, but to also come back and work with us again. Um, interesting too, I keyed in there on what you, and I agree with you, what you're talking about when you get to determine, focus, deliver, I think a lot of clients start at deliver. We need to be yeah. in the New York times. We need to be on CNN. We need to be in the sun. Um, uh, you know, any, any of those statements, right. And, and forcing them to back up and think about, okay, what are you trying to accomplish? Who are you trying to get to our key, um, answers that, that are key questions you need to answer um, before you engage, because if you don't, it's just going to be some gobbledygook kind of news release that gets smeared all over the landscape and really doesn't accomplish much. Um, and, and so I think that's really important. Have you had to have sort of uh, sort of pull the reins on clients and back them up from that deliver step to that determine and focus step? Um, I, I guess we do, but actually, I think most people, whilst, whilst the natural inclination is to jump into that deliver step, you know, I, I, we all agree that that's, that's where the fun is, that's where the results come. Actually, everybody understands the need for planning. Um, and so when you say we've got to pull clients back, it sounds like it's a lot of effort. It's just like, you know, actually, let's take a breath. Let's have a think. And with a client you're working with frequently, those first two steps don't take very long. I mean, you're not doing like all your models and your analysis for the first two steps for every campaign. You might spend quite a lot of time on the first time, you know, really modeling uh, the situation, understanding what the competitors are, what the environment is, you know, where um, the audience positions different brands. Um, but once you've done it, you've done it. So it's then very quick to recap that and look at how that applies to a particular situation. So it's really not as big a deal as it might sound. That's interesting. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that we've identified the first difference between a UK client and a United States and an American client, the American clients, more than 50% of the time sit down in front of me and go, we need to be in and they name an outlet, they name a media outlet, and they have no idea why, other than it's the one that they read, or it's the one their friends, you know, consume every day. And so they think if they're going to be in it, that'll solve all their problems, when in fact, it probably won't. And what I continually encourage people to, to think about is where is your audience? Who are you talking to? Okay, how do we identify the media outlets that talk to that audience? And then what do we want to say through that media outlet to that audience to make sure that we drive them to whatever you want to drive them to? Um, the enhance part I love too. Um, how do you explain the enhance to, you explained it a little bit, but how do you explain the enhance part to the clients? You know, that 
the, you know, the American version is ROI, right? We want to, how many impressions did you get? Or how, what was the ad value? Or all those, all those kind of fancy things that you can put in a chart and you can put in a graph and everybody can feel good about it. Um, but let's get deeper into the enhanced part. How do you sort of take it to the next step and spin it back around to the start of a new project? Well, that's a great question. The answer is you, you start at the beginning with the uh, determine phase. So what we try and do is we try and talk to clients about what they, what they want to achieve, what they want to see in very general terms rather than being in specific metrics. And it's so easy to go, you know, we want this many opportunities to see or, you know, kind of a buzzwordy vanity metric. Um, and actually, typically, when you talk to a client, eventually they'll go, look, do you know what? There's 20 companies that are going to move the needle for us. And I want people in those companies to see this article. Um, and then we can start talking about, well, how do we do that? You know, um, and if it is, you know, they, they want to be on CNN, how many of the, the people they're trying to reach actually are going to watch CNN? How many are going to be watching at the time that they're actually on? Um, because if it's really focused and, and quite a lot of the time, because we work with very technical clients, they want to reach a fairly small audience in a fairly small number of companies um, because that's where they're selling. Um, so, I mean, we, we have one client, one of my my favorite, favorite clients of all. Um, and they make baggage handling systems for airports. These massive systems, you know, when your bag disappears. Um, now in America, your bag disappears, it gets lost. Um, and uh, <laughs> it, it, it's really strange. And in Europe, we're like, why do Americans carry these big bags onto airplanes? Because if you check it in in Europe, typically the bag gets there on time um, with you. It's there, it's carried for you. You don't have to worry about it. Um, and it's because we have very different baggage handling systems, although that is improving in the States, by the way. It, it, it's something that I think in uh, 10 or 20 years time, Americans won't be carrying these huge bags. They'll be checking in because it will work. Um, but we, we, we love these guys. And, and you can look at, you know, metrics like reach and opportunities to see and, you know, big, how do we get huge numbers for this client? Because it's airports and, and the, the kit is cool. I mean, it's whizzing stuff around all over the place. It's amazing. Um, and, and you can look at that in terms of numbers. Actually, they can really sell maybe one system a year. And there's two reasons for that. One is capacity. I mean, these things are incredibly complicated, incredibly big. And secondly, actually, there's only one airport a year building a terminal that's big enough to justify one of their systems. So, so thinking about, I need to be on CNN because it's got the biggest audience. No, that's the wrong way to do it. I need to be on CNN because we're pitching this airport and I know that some of the key decision makers love CNN, completely different argument. Um, and I think that's, that's what you get by going back and, and thinking about what you're trying to achieve. And then suddenly it's really easy to get to that uh, enhanced stage because if you know that the people you're trying to reach, you know, they, they only watch CNN, you've got to be on CNN, it's really clear. If you know they happen to read you know, some of the many um, magazines about airport infrastructure that are in the world, and that's where they, they actually view credible information comes from, that actually is a very different conversation about, you know, how do you achieve those goals? Um, so, you know, I, and ultimately, we all want to do things that move the needle in terms of, of actually moving the sales number um, and growing our client's business, or if we're in the client, actually growing our own business. Um, th the interesting thing about baggage handling systems is, they have incredibly long sales cycles. So they talk of sales cycles up to 20 years, 20 years. You can't measure the impact on sales. Um, so really drilling down on what matters is, is super important. 
That is a terrific example. And, and I'll confess that I used to work for uh, a large international construction company and one of their key verticals was airport construction. So I'm familiar with, not to the degree that you are, but I'm familiar with what you're talking about with the baggage handling systems. And, and you're right that, you know, they put one of these in every 20 years and there's one that gets built every year, you know, and, and even in a country, you know, the size of the United States where you, you got hundreds of airports, there's still precious few of these systems being installed. And so I love the lens that you're looking uh, uh, through at that. Um, but you were talking a little bit about engaging a key audience and, and many of your clients are trying to reach out to that engineering community uh, or that highly technical community. It's a very different language that you have to speak with them, is it not? Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I think, you know, th this is a trivial thing to say, but it, it's actually really important is when working in PR, you don't want to speak your language. You want to speak the language of the audience. And we all try and do that. Um, but for us, it's probably a little more exaggerated um, because these are engineers that have very specific ways of talking. Um, the good news is, is that I started my career as an engineer. Um, so these crazy geeky people, they're my people, they're me. I love them. Um, and so, you know, absolutely, I can, uh, you know, I can understand what they want. But we have, you know, specialists who've worked in engineering, you know, um, more than half of our company um, has either been an engineer or been in technical journalism for um, engineering topics. So, you know, everybody's come from this really uh, technical background so they can they can understand how to talk the engineer talk. And, and that's super important. I mean, that really matters. And engineering is- Well, is you can't great, fake that, right? You, you, you can't, can't fake, it, fake it. But also you look at the way someone says something and you immediately know that's if somebody who knows what they're talking about, that's an engineer. Or alternatively, yeah, this guy's just writing words. They don't know what they mean. Um, and you can throw in buzzwords. It can it can be technically correct, but it still doesn't sound right. Yeah, that's so important to to understand the the words that you're uh, that you're using. How'd you get into this business? How'd you you said you were you were an engineer? Yeah. Okay. So your background is in engineering, is what I mean. Okay. So yeah, my my degree was in engineering. I went out. I designed um, different uh, systems from mixing desks for recording studios. Um, all the way through to, uh, I've worked in a, a company that made printing machines um, and they burn these massive printing rollers um, with huge lasers. I mean, these lasers burn through bricks, really cool things. Um, and you can tell I'm an engineer because I'm talking about my engineering stuff now. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I started off doing that. I realized I wasn't actually great at doing the engineering stuff, honestly. I just liked it. I just liked the technology. So I moved into uh, technical sales, moved into marketing, um, and then like any good English person, um, I was on a course, I got drunk one evening, um, had a discussion and people were saying, oh, you should run your own business. Um, and a, a couple of months later, the agency I was using, um, actually uh, my primary contact, my account manager came to me and said, you know what, the two founders, they're going to retire, you should buy the agency. Um, and, and in a, a rush of um, what you could call enthusiasm, but I think retrospectively I've understood was stupidity. Um, I said, yeah, I could do that. I mean, I, I've done some marketing stuff before. I, I, I could I could do PR. I could run an agency. How hard can it be? There you go. There's the key. There's the key <laughs> phrase. How hard can it be? Yeah. And the answer is, if you buy an agency at the start of April 2001 and you're focused on technology, the fact that in two weeks time, every newspaper is going to talk about the dot-com crash means it's going to be really, really hard. Oh, my goodness. 
that, but, but it's, it's so interesting to hear how you translated um, a very technical career, a very technical work experience into something um, where you're now servicing that industry uh, and, you're, and you're turning around and you're, you're able to use that very, uh, very focused and, and technical knowledge um, to, to, to uh, pursue a completely different career. Yeah, and in some ways it's completely different. In other ways, it, it's very similar. So, um, you know, particularly when I was in technical support, I basically talked about technology. Um, you know, when I'm trying to do technical PR, I just want to talk about our clients' technology in an interesting way. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah, well, we, uh, I, I, am, I am of a similar ilk. I am not uh, an engineer by training or trade, but I am a, a, a sideline cheerleader of all things science and engineering and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I like to bring the big nerd energy every now and then myself. Um, that, that is really terrific. Any parting thoughts on how you can uh, better engage a technical audience with public relations? You know, you mentioned how you, you can't fake it. You've got to really use that technical knowledge. But is it, is it just bullet point listing all the technical specs of something or is it really getting into a story? I, I mean, that, that's a, a fantastic question. And I think the answer is you've got to care. Um, if you're interested, you, you can see what your client is doing or what your company's doing. And you can talk about it in a way that is both technically credible and also engaging, it's going to work. So the answer is no, it's not always bullet points. Um, it's about having a vision and opinion um, and doing something because that there really is value around it. And I think, uh, you know, one of the, my big frustrations moving out of engineering into PR is that a lot of PR is, is real cookie cutter stuff, you know. And, and if you're in the tech world, the number of press releases that you've seen, which is company X, a leading supplier of technology Y today announces, you know, a, a product that's going to disrupt industry one, two, three, four. I, I, and that's a kind of press release that, that just has no thought in it. Um, and I think, you know, really thinking about what the product does um, and then talking about it in the way that engineers would talk about it is great. Engineers are, you know, they come across as, as being a bit robotic sometimes to people. If you're an engineer, you know, engineers are super, super enthusiastic. Um, and there's a perception, you know, engineers, they just look at numbers, they just look at stats, you can't influence them. Now, actually, engineers are real enthusiasts. That's why they're engineers. So they love being engaged by PR. Um, and so good PR works really well. That's fantastic. And I think that's a great note to end on uh, in terms of finding the enthusiasm in what you do, regardless of the, the subject matter or what your perception, perhaps, of the subject matter is. Um, you, we can be enthusiastic on, on a variety of things and, and engineering, no no exception. Well, this has been a great conversation. We are going to segue into the rapid fire portion uh, uh, of our podcast here, where we steal a page from inside the actor's studio, ask our guests a series of rapid fire questions meant to elicit a simple answer, maybe a laugh or two. Mike, with your indulgence, here we go. Rapid fire question number one, what is your favorite news source? My favorite news source is the BBC. I'm sorry, I'm English. There we go. Rapid fire <laughs> question number two, what is your favorite social media platform? Uh, favorite social media platform is LinkedIn because that's where the engineers are. There you go. They're hanging out in all the brainy places, right? Rapid fire question number three, coffee or alcohol? And I guess you could substitute tea if you need to. Uh, so, so interesting thing, James Bond and I, neither of us drink tea. Never seen us in the same room, just saying that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably 
the majority of the time coffee, but not always. All right. Uh, uh, black or, or with anything in it? Uh, just black. Just black. Very good. Very good. Very good. We can hang out. All right. <laughs> Rapid fire question number four. What is your favorite on the run food? Oh, wow. Um, so one of the things I do in my sport, one of my sports is uh, speed skating. And there's always a joke that I eat too many kebabs. So it has to be a kebab from a kebab man by the side of the road. All right. Now we're in the middle of Olympic season. We can't just drop speed skating in there and not get the backstory. Go ahead. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I've done speed skating for, for many years. Um, I've raced Olympians um, and I was right next to them absolutely alongside them and then the starter fired his gun and that was it <laughs> uh, so um it, it's to me it's a great sport if any it, you know if anybody gets a chance to watch short track speed skating which is my sport it's the most exciting racing sport ever um but believe me if you're looking at anything that's anywhere near a decent standard i will not be on the ice <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a very thrilling sport to watch it, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit when they all go down because they have those long blades on their skates and they're and i'm just i wonder how they don't all get cut up so so the, the scary bit is sometimes they do yeah um but actually underneath the suits um there's all sorts of cut proof material to try and stop you get getting cut and certainly to make sure you don't get cut where there's any sort of major blood vessels so there's actually quite a lot of i don't know if it's protection because it, it seems very fairly thin but i'm reliably informed that the skates won't cut it there you go you heard it here first <laughs> all right and back to our questions rapid fire question number five what do you want to be after you finish this career a speed yeah, skater that's, <laughs> that, that's really tough um <laughs> Do you know what? I, I'm not sure what career I want to do at the moment. I'm kind of in in um, PR. I, I think, you know, I, I just want to enjoy this career and see where it goes. I mean, as you you found out, my career planning involved a couple of bottles of wine um, yeah. to move into the agency world. So I'm not sure that expecting me to have a career plan afterwards is uh, realistic. Well, it seems like it's working out all right for <laughs> you, Mike. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Please let people know how they can find you online. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, obviously LinkedIn, I guess, is what everybody says. Um, I'm at the only Mike Maynard at Napier. Um, our website is napierb2b.com, in case you didn't hear the earlier stuff. We're very B2B focused. Um, but frankly, you know, if anyone wants to ask me anything direct, just email me. It's not a surprise. My email is mike at napierb2b.com. Be great to chat with you. Fantastic. Mike, thanks again. And thank you everyone for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the PR podcast, and send us a question or a comment. Our intro is by Christopher Apple. You can find him and his fantastic photography on Instagram at Christopher underscore A-P-P-O-L-D-T. Check him out there and hire him for all your photography needs. You can find me online at Jody Fisher on all the socials and on the web at jodyfisherpr.com. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast.